Welcome back to Soul Back. This is the R&B podcast. This is your host Kyle. I've got Tom and Ed with me. What is going on, guys? What's going on, players? What's up, guys? Glad to be here for another round. Okay, so before we get started here, is it Laurel or Yanni? Let's get it out of the way right now. <laughs> All um, right, I'm going to let you two go first before I give you the it's definitely, It's definitely Laurel, and if anyone heard Yanni, then I question their judgment on music in general. Or they're from the South. <laughs> oh, Ed. <laughs> now, see, now you got to die, because let me tell you something, player. If you, I heard Yanni like all reasonable human beings, and I'll explain why. If you actually go and look at all these stupid articles that have come out about it, apparently it's a issue with frequency. And those of us who hear higher frequencies instead of lower frequencies hear Yanni over Laurel because apparently this recording is trash, and that's why it sounds weird anyway. But Higher frequency hearers hear Yanni, which means once again, we have unequivocal proof that I have the best hearing and therefore the best judgment of you three weirdos on this podcast. I don't know, man. Ed, it sounds more like this all makes sense now. I like real vocalists with that deep husky tone like Tony Braxton and you like the whiny voices of The Weeknd. It's all confirmed now. Let me drop the mic. You can drop the mic so I can pick it up and smack you in the face with it. <laughs> oh, man. All right, all right. Uh, um, there is no real right answer, but we will find out later because we have a special guest coming in. Rico Love will be joining the podcast, so that will be one of the questions that we have for Rico. Excited to have him. Yeah, I can't wait to have him. He is one of the most underrated pins in the past 10 years or so in R&B. He is the man behind a ton of songs y'all love, so I can't wait to get his opinions and thoughts on modern R&B and some of his big hits. So, Tom, I got a question for you. As you know, Rico Love's producer tag is Turn the Lights On. So my question to you, Tom, is when you were young and you were sleeping, did you have to turn on the nightlight to sleep? Oh, my goodness. Are you really going to ask that? No, because I couldn't sleep with a nightlight on because I needed to have total darkness. Or else, I was afraid afraid of the dark, so maybe you guys were. But no, I could not use a nightlight. Play, <laughs> I am from Ed? the hood. I'm more afraid of those shots ringing off at night than the freaking dark. But um, <laughs> I, I agree with Tom. Like, I, I too have to have, like, a total darkness. I can't do it, and that's where me and my wife kind of clash because she can't sleep in total darkness. So we got to figure that out. A lot of times she'll go to sleep with the lights on and then I'll turn the lights off because I can't go to sleep with the freaking lights on like that. Turn the lights <laughs> off, Rico Love. Shout out. Well, before we get into R&B, can I just say one more thing? Anybody that sleeps with the TV on intentionally, like if that's your way of falling asleep, you guys are wasting so many resources in this world. Agreed. People sleep like that? Yeah, Jeez. people sleep like that all the time. Wow. That's insane. Now, I'm old. I'll fall asleep with it on and the TV is watching me, but that's not intentional. That's just me being an old geezer. <laughs> an old Fair geezer. <laughs> Don't forget to hang your cane up when okay. you enter the room. 
No, I got something to do with wow. my cane with you. Calm, you got me wound up today. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Four minutes in and I'm worked up. <laughs> all right, all right. All right, I have one more question for you guys before we really, really dive into R&B. Are you guys ready? I guess. Yep. What did Grant's partner say to him when he left the pizza in the oven too long? What? What? <laughs> I have no idea what's going All right, let on. Me, let me say this. What did Grant's partner say to him when he left the pizza in the oven too long? Boy, I don't, I, I don't know. What are you talking about? He said Yanni. Tom? Yanni? <laughs> no. I don't know. Grant's, Grant's partner, when the pizza was in the oven too long, said, Grant, leave it smoking. That's what Tamiya said. Wow. Leave it smoking. Oh, my. <laughs> oh, my oh goodness. My. This went way Hold off on. the rails. I am DMing Barry Barr's as we speak because I have had enough. Oh. Cut. We, we need, need some to take new this from blood. the top. <laughs> <laughs> we need some new Anyways. blood on this podcast. Shout out to all Barry right, Barr's. Right. Well, it, it, it is a perfect segue into... Tom going to Tamiya's listening party for her new album, Passion Like Fire. That's a First perfect up, segue? Oh my god. That is a, it's like you trip and fell down and then tried to get back up but <laughs> fell down again. And here we are. <laughs> Alright. Before I get into the listening party, I gotta talk about the song of the day, which is Tamiya's Leave It Smoking. But just because I've been playing that song on repeat since I've heard it, you know, Salam Remy never lets us down. Such a great summertime record, like feel-good type of record. I know, Kyle, you, were, you weren't as big on it as, as I was, but, man. And honestly, that wasn't really expected from Tamiya, but, like, man, just, just a fun record, feel-good, like I said. And I, I just love that song, guys. Yeah, it's one of my favorites of the year so far. Salam number one never lets a brother down, but it's just perfect for a summer R&B song. That's something that... I feel like we haven't had a good R&B summer song lately, and that one just fits the bill just perfectly. That's going to be my song that I'm riding to this summer, and can't wait for Tamiya to give us that album. Absolutely. And so I was at this listening event you know, for press. I was a little surprised that we're doing it this early. The album's not due till fall, I believe. So it's interesting the, the plan she's going with, let alone not many artists are even doing these type of listening events for press anymore. It's it's a totally different time. It you know, guys, I was, you know, here in New York City, they used to do these every week, it seemed like, for R&B artists. And now it's like every few months we're getting one. So it's like a total change in philosophy. But regardless, the music sounds great. You know, it's kind of what you expect from Tamiya. She stuck to her traditional, you know, R&B format. The vocals are there. The You know, the ballads are there. The wedding song is there. It's like exactly what R&B lovers are going to want to hear. So... We interviewed her recently and, and at the session, actually, and she talked more about it. So it's going to be good music, guys. I'm, I'm excited for it, you know, and glad she didn't try to go trappy and more modern R&B and just stuck to what she, she's into. So I'm looking forward to it, guys. Well, to me, as someone who never disappoints, she knows her lane. She knows what her fans want, and she's not an artist that tries to grasp trends because I don't know if she was just wants... I think she just feels like an artist that wants to be true to herself and true to her sound and true to her fans. So as an R&B supporter who likes her style of music, 
I go to Tamia because I don't want to hear trap. I want it because I want to hear Tamia. So I'm glad she's giving me what I hope and what I expect. Well, first of all, before we uh, go any further, Ed, you were saying that there's no, there hasn't been a summer song in a while for R&B. What about Freaky Friday by Chris Brown and Little Dicky? <laughs> first of all, that isn't even summer. I don't know what that, that is. That you talk about a song. We were talking on the Soul Stereo Cipher a few weeks ago about songs that we love because of the video. If you take away the video, that's just a goofy song. But the video compared with the song, paired with it, okay, it's a fun time. So I give Little Dicky and Cousin Chris some props for the video and the song together. But I am not riding around bumping in freaking Friday, please. I'll leave well, that with you. All right. well, let me ask you this, Ed, on that note. There's a new rapper I've heard of called Lil Baby. That's definitely a oh, Southern artist, God. isn't that, Ed? You take credit oh, for my. that. <laughs> Lil Baby? You bring that dude up of all people? <laughs> oh my god thank you the south <laughs> i think that he is one of the southern dudes but seeing that most of the new yorkers that i hear coming out are trying to sound like little baby you need to get your oh. people together too <laughs> moving on <laughs> moving on um and then another summer record is boot up by lma which we've talked about a lot but I want to talk about a new album that's actually coming out next week. It has a very interesting release. It's Jessie J, who most of us know as a pop singer. But on this album, she is working with our good friend DJ Camper. And she's released a couple of R&B records. Was she performing? I think she performed at Soul Train a couple of months ago. Was part of that Tony Braxton uh, tribute. Um, but this album release is very interesting. She split it into four different mini projects, each with a different theme. Um... And she's going to be releasing it one day at a time, four songs each. I've never heard of this approach before. Yeah, this is a completely new approach. But if you look at it, and again, I have to have someone break down the actual, the way this works in streams. It might be a little, um, a little mad scientist type plot here that could pull off. Because if you get someone to revisit, because think of it like this. When an album drops, you tweet about it. Hey, y'all, go check out my album. You'll get some streams. But if you get someone to revisit that album four times, if all four of those still like rank under that one album stream, instead of four separate projects, if they all go to the single project, you're getting people to revisit your album at least four times. Now, the, the emphasis is on her, because if that first kind of EP or whatever you want to call it, the first initial rollout, is not fantastic, you're going to be hurting yourself to get people to go back and revisit. But if she can get people to go back and re-listen to that album again and again and again and then release the whole thing and then a fifth time to revisit, that's pretty That's pretty sneaky. I kind of dig it. But again, it has to, it'll only work if the material is solid. And I'm a big fan of Jessie J. I know that some of our listeners might not be very familiar with her, but she has a great voice. She's done R&B before. It's been fantastic. So I'm interested. I think it's a cool concept. We haven't seen it before. It'll be interesting to see how it turns out. I'm all for artists trying different things. I mean, this is 2018. You can't just do the traditional way of releasing music like we used to. Like, I always point back to Eric Roberson when he put out his Earth, Wind, and Fire EP mm -hmm. project last year. Three different parts. He let 
his fans behind the scenes. He let them choose the songs for the projects. I love when artists do different things like that in this in this landscape. You gotta mix it up. You gotta try new things and get people excited because the old old way just doesn't work like it used to. So we'll see how it works for Jesse J. I think it, it'll probably work well. It's a cool idea. So we'll 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 definitely be watching to see the the numbers. I mean, look at the poster child for that, Gabby Wilson. So she's been able to kind of use social media to create this buzz around her and her character and. Now she's one of the bigger stars in that genre right now. So you've got to be creative. But again, it won't work if your talent doesn't shine out. Absolutely. Now, new song came out last week. Raheem Devon, Don't Come Easy. It's the new single off his project. Tom, did you get a chance to listen to it? Yeah, man. I, I love Raheem Devon. He's always coming with a fresh sound. And he's always... He, he's... I can't wait till we have him on this podcast because he's someone who really knows his stuff and music and really guides his own career, you know, kind of embraces that indie movement. And I, I like the song. He he knows what his fans are looking for. He's not going to, you know, come with something that is going to be like, what the heck is this? So I really like it. Ed, what did you think? I have not heard the song yet. I, your boy has been grinding all week. So <laughs> I saw that it dropped, but I have not heard that yet. So I'm very interested. As you know, as Tom will tell you, I'm a pretty big Raheem fan. So if he likes it, chances are I'll probably dig it too. Absolutely. And a couple other records that came out uh, last week. We have Gallant. He has a new record out, Don't Matter. Ed, you're a big Gallant fan. Yep, yet another one I have not heard yet, but I love his new album, I mean, his new record, Gentlemen. So, I again, looking forward to this one. I thought his last album, I think, came out year before last. It made my top 10 of the year. I think he's one of the most underrated voices and talents in the game right now. So, anything that gets my boy some more shine, I am all over. I'll tell you something, guys, interesting about Gallant. You know, it's no secret I have not really embraced the youth movement in R&B, but, like, Gallant is someone who forces me to embrace one of those, I call it the 25 and under category, because we're not really hearing vocals from the 25 and under crowd in R&B, and he's someone who really makes me pay attention. I really like the sound he has, and I, I have high hopes for him. He's a, he's a dope artist, you know, he's making good music, so I'm excited about him. And then another record that came out, Rhapsody, Her, my girl Her, and uh, Alex the <laughs> Kid, they came out with the record Go!, pretty dope record um ed i know you love her and you love rhapsody so i'm yep, sure a lot I love of people both. love that song the song well. uh the song to me was just okay i don't know if my expectations were a little too high um I, as you as is no secret i'm a huge gabby fan and i'm a huge rhapsody fan so i really was like oh man two of my favorites are about to kill it it was fine it wasn't as anything as monumental as kind of that pairing would expect but with those two talents, you're not going to get anything garbage. So pretty decent track, but not the the song of the year contender I was expecting. And then, Tom, um, a group that you actually really like, or a duo, I guess, Lipstick Gypsy. They hmm. came back with a new record, um, one of Salam Remy's groups previously. Um, we got some exciting news about them, don't we? I couldn't believe to hear that um, they're working with Justin Timberlake. And their recent video was, was produced or executive produced by Jamie Foxx. That's star power right there. So yes, these are is. some guys. They were on Epic Records. I think they're indie now. So it's really interesting to hear that they're now working with such big names. But, man, I'm excited. They had two singles out. 
Uh, one of them we had on our year-end countdown. I think it was uh, back in 2015. And, uh, man, they're talented. It's just like we were waiting for them to resurface, and here they are with the new single. And uh, really talented guys. And, I mean, I'm excited to see what they cook up with Justin Timberlake. That's always exciting news. Absolutely. So let's get into the play. <coughs> Sorry about that. Let's get into the Play a Please Award really quickly. I have three for us today because we kind of took a little break. Three. Um, from the last. Three. From the last. No, well, it's a lot of, the there's last a lot to be disgusted by, so I'm not surprised. <laughs> so first and foremost, if you're looking for us to talk about the R. Kelly situation, we actually recorded a separate uh, audio for that. So. Stay tuned for that. We're not going to talk about it on this one because Rico Love is coming up pretty quickly. Um, Play a Please Award number one is Tidal. They got caught faking their stream numbers. Did you guys hear about this? I sure did. I sure did. And I called it months ago. And everybody called me a hater. And I was... And listen, this is a journalist in me, player. I am very skeptical when it comes to numbers flying around. But yep, it was confirmed that... Be sorry, Beehive. Some of those numbers that you heard have been a little bit inflated to kind of help your boy Jay's profits a little bit. Yeah, I mean, we always talked about it. I mean, on this podcast or even us just chatting offline. Like, who even has title? I don't really know anyone who owns title. So I'm always surprised to see that they put up any type of big numbers, and there you have it. Oh, no. I, I We'll see. I, you don't know this, but yes, my wife now has title. So, title has fans, but again, some of those wow. numbers I was a little bit skeptical about. All right, play a please award number two, and this one actually goes to Tom's coworker, um, Ed. Did you know the Migos and Drake oh. are headlining a tour together? I missed that. I try to purge anything Migos from my brain, so I missed this one. Wait a second, Tom. How much you're, did your coworker you're... pay? Hold on, Ed. You're gonna. You're not gonna support your boys from down south, the Migos. I don't support my boys, Tom, from up north. So why would I support my <laughs> boys from down south, the Migos? Oh come on. So here's what happened. I have a coworker who came to me. He's about, I think, twenty six, twenty seven. Say, oh yeah, I just got those Drake and Migos tickets. I'm like, oh hey, cool, cool. Yo, the dude paid seven hundred and fifty dollars for two tickets. I could not believe it. People are paying this type of money to see this, to sit through this? Yes, and I want to know what his seats are. I bet you he's like probably like like in the midsection. Like he probably isn't even close. I'm not I, shocked. You, <laughs> you know what I said to him? I'm like, do you get to you get to hang out with these dudes after the show and like go get dinner at Denny's or something? I mean, damn. <laughs> dinner at Denny's. I do not want to <laughs> eat with the amigos. They don't seem like they use forks. Oh, jeez. Wow. I mean, that was crazy. And That's a play of please, though. Are, that is a play of please. And I've actually got one more play of please for you guys. And this, you know you know what? We forgot about our fan love, fan love segment earlier, and we'll get to that right after this. But this is a play of please. Heidi Florence Newberry. Does that name ring a bell to either of you? Not at all. Nope. Heidi Florence Newberry wrote on our... Uh, page. He wrote, Tito Jackson, please call me. Oh, I'll give God. you my phone number. Can I have your phone number from your cell phone? I need you for a boyfriend. I love you, baby. Sincerely, <laughs> Heidi. Oh, man. That did happen. <laughs> Super Tito Jackson fan wrote that on our website. Ed, play it, please. 
Oh, player, please. Uh, I mean, if, oh my gosh, at least go out to Jermaine because you know he got the good hair products. I don't know what Tito rocking with. But <laughs> listen, there's somebody out there for everybody. <laughs> Can we break this down real quick? This isn't even a DM. This is a comment on an interview we did with the man on our website. So, it's, I mean, talk about, I don't even know what to say about this, guys. Well, I think she's messing up her game. First of all, she should have tagged him and been like, hey, Tito, because you got to shoot your shot, player. I'm not mad at anybody <laughs> for shooting a shot. And I don't know how much, I don't know how what Tito's working with these days. So, shout out to That's Heidi a- for going for it. 2018, you just got to go for it, guys. But come on, at least (laughs) do it on their actual page. Don't do it on a comment on some R&B website, which he's not going to be looking at. I mean, geez, is he checking the comments on our site of his interview? You never know. You never know. I have a post. (laughs) I have an old post up about um, whatever happened to on Tevin Campbell. And I have the Tevin Tevin Campbell's fan club stand patrol. I'll just like, Tevin, have my baby. Tevin, I hope you're reading this. Tevin, I want you and I need you. I'm kind of like, I don't know if Tevin even wants you, but good luck there. I'm going to flip it, though, real quick for you and turn it from a play of please to a positive situation for us because we are the only people showing these artists love. I mean, who's talking about Tevin Campbell besides, like, TMZ making fun of him or something? We're actually showing these artists love. And Tito Jackson, when he put out his album last year, you know, that's what it's all about. And and I'm glad you mentioned that. Shout out to, of all people, and I'm about to say, Orin Juice Jones, who, mess, who, again, commented on, and you say who's reading these posts? I did a whatever happened to article on him, I mean, years ago. And he just found it this week and commented on it and was kind of like, thanks for your work. So... I mean, wow. it's we do what we do because we love the music. We love these artists. And apparently they find it in their browser 20 years later and come back and comment. So Heidi shoots a shot. In 20 years, Tito going to find it. Wait, who is this artist? OJ the Juice Man? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Kyle, can you call Rico, please? Because I've had enough of this Tom guy. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. A legend like Orin Juice Jones. Orin Juice? That's called a real o- person? Orin Juice Jones. Oh, my gosh. This is what I got to work with, y'all. This is what I have to work with. <laughs> Def Jam's first well, R&B artist. Wow. Well, all I know is if you read our YouTube page and you read those comments, people will say crazy stuff like, Tamiya has pretty feet. I want to marry her. Um, oh my so god! I can only imagine this orange juice fella. You're gonna have somebody, and it's so obvious that it's gonna happen. Somebody's gonna say, "I want to have a sip of that orange juice." I'm sorry, it's gonna happen. Oh man! <laughs> but I've had enough. Uh, let's I not get too had excited. Enough, please don't. You have definitely had enough, and I have as, as well. So we need to get educated. We need to recalibrate. We have Rico Love. He's about to join us on this podcast. Like I said, every week we have another special guest. And this week we have one of the prolific producer, songwriters, and artists um, that has really contributed to the genre. Tom, who's the special guest? 
Man, we're really excited to have Rico Love here with us, someone we've been supporting for years. He's always shown love to us back in return. One of our favorite writers, like you said, you know, these all these years in R&B has so many hits and it really just doesn't really quite always get the attention he deserves, but we always like to show him love, and that's Rico Love. Thank you for joining us. I appreciate that a lot, guys. You guys have no idea how much that means. Yeah, so Rico, so to get right into it, we usually start with an icebreaker, just something off the wall. Have you heard about this whole Laurel and Yanni debate? Yes, I hear Laurel. <laughs> okay, thank you. We were, we were debating <laughs> hear, about that. Listen, oh, I hear Laurel. It's clear, it's clear as day I hear Laurel. <laughs> it I is, right? No, Rico, no. No, I, 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 it's Yanni. I don't see how – I don't well, hear I'm, any Laurel <laughs> at all. Listen, it's just straight it's like the Yanni. Blue, the blue dress, gold dress thing. Like, I clearly see a blue dress every time. <laughs> and I'm like, how do you see a gold dress? And I – I literally put the phone to my ear, and I'm just like, it's like, Laurel. 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 I'm like, how do you hear Yanni? I hear no L's. No L's. (laughs) Well, it's so clear for me. Uh, Seriously, it's so clear for me. You know what? We should look up what it means about us if we hear Laurel and if we hear Yanni. We should really do a study on that. Well, Well, we actually thought, uh, we thought if you heard. Your personality. We thought if you heard Yanni, you have no idea what you know about music. You have no clue what you're listening to. So, <laughs> actually, actually, you're pretty much a Mormon, right? No, actually, it is a frequency deal. So if you hear in the higher frequency, it's Yanni. If you hear in the lower, it's Laurel. That's what oh, okay. I'm Okay, I mean, cool. I got to bring out my receipts when Tom gets talking because he just wild. <laughs> All right, listen, Ed. We're going to move on from this, but let me just remind you, Rico Love is a Grammy award-winning producer, and if he hears Laurel, I think we're going to go with Laurel. It's Laurel. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. I think it's fair. Yes. Now, <laughs> now, if Quincy Jones out of this calling, her Yanni, then I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> See, we don't have to call up Quincy. Hugh going to All right, let's talk R&B here. Um, man, I don't know even where to begin, but Rico, you were responsible and I'm going to put it out there. You were championing R&B from like 2010 to about 2015 when nobody was doing R&B. Everyone was on that EDM stuff. Ed, can you bring me back to that era? Yeah, man. It's so funny to look back at that era. We were talking before you came on, Rico, about how around 2009 or so is when we really saw the shift in R&B. And around that time, there were still just some sprinkles of tracks that that we loved. And then when you go back and look at who were behind those tracks from Beyonce to Usher to Kelly Rowland, that name always came up. Rico Love was on doing the writing behind the pen. So how did you, even though the game was changing and the shift was kind of changing, you kind of stuck with R&B. Why did you decide to do that? And what was your motivation, so to speak, no pun intended, to kind of keep that going? You know what? It was crazy because now that you say that, um, it was myself and Cash Money, and I would notice that. Like it was, it was that's when Nicki was emerging, and obviously Drake was just on fire. Mm-hmm. Wayne was killing it, and I remember just being on the charts all the time, and it'd be like me fighting with like eight rap, rap records, you know, and um, consistently doing that. And then even when I would do rap records, cause, you know, I did the Ti Ball and ain't worrying about nothing, French Montana, and I did the Freaks with Nicki Minaj and French, and you know, and and. and you know, these hoes be acting up for MMG. Like, so I, w- I was always active on the rap, on the hip-hop side, but I just thought that I'm passionate about melody and about um, lyrical content and strength and, and emotion, and I think that 
when we are really honest with ourselves, we are at our truest point when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable. So I think that um, I think that's the the highest sense of masculinity, believe it or not, because when you're strong enough to say that I'm weak, that's a strength that can't be compared to lifting up a heavy weight. You know what I mean? It's almost like I'm strong enough and comfortable enough in myself to say, right now I'm I'm hurt and I miss her and I love her and I want her back. And I think that the strength in that is something that I think, especially in our culture, is is lost because. We have to put up this facade because we got the pressure and the weight of the world on us, especially as people of color. It's difficult for us to kind of navigate throughout the world, um, lacking privilege. So a lot of times we have to compensate, overcompensate with this um, false interpretation of what masculinity is. And I think that in doing so, I'm kind of showing the true strength of a man is being able to say, right now I'm not happy and I'm hurting and I, and I need to fix this. And um, so that's what that's always been my drive and my, you know, reasoning behind being more emotional and writing more R&B records is because I'm comfortable and I really love explaining that passion and that pain and that triumph and that happiness and hurt, whatever it is, because being comfortable in who I am and I think, you know, that that's kind of like what is derivative of. Now, Rico. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Rico, I got to ask you about this one song you did. Um, it's a Carl Thomas single you wrote. Now, yeah, I mean, we love the song, but you, you know, working with artists like, you know, Beyonce, your Chris Browns, you know, Usher is all the biggest, so, you know, artists out there. But then having, you know, writing a single for a, a Carl Thomas, how do you kind of recalibrate your expectations? You know, because that was such a great song, but it's almost like an R and B. You know that it's not going to blow up. Like, I mean. Maybe I'm maybe I'm just assuming too much, but like you feel like that traditional R&B just isn't getting the attention it deserves. So, how do you kind of recalibrate the way you look at it when you when you put your all into a song like that? Actually, that record performed really well on Urban AC. Right. And how how I look at it, honestly is I do it honestly for the culture, and I know it sounds cliche to say that, and everybody's saying it nowadays, and they really have no idea what that really means. But I'm a fan of actual music just for the sake of doing music. So. And what you have to understand is a lot of my career happened because of my willingness to work with Michelle Williams, who nobody wanted to work with. And I was when I got around her, I'm like, how does how could people not want to work with this girl? This girl's amazing. Like she just her personality was incredible, and she just had so much energy and charisma. So me working with her is what got me Beyonce. So I always tell people, if you think something is great, do it, and don't let people on the outside tell you. Oh, well, that's not important enough because if it moves you, do it. You never know what doors will open. And even if no doors will open from it, the satisfaction of being able to say, I did that, and then to have guys like you mention it in an interview right now, like it's like, wow, that's cool because those are the records that usually go unnoticed. And some of my favorite records are the songs that weren't huge hits. One of my favorite songs I ever wrote was a song called Dive by Usher. Um, I was just mm-hmm. speaking to somebody the other day about a song I did for Jamie Foxx called Weekend Lover, which I thought was one of my best written songs or a song I wrote for um, Lloyd called The Year of the Lover. And I thought that was one of my mm. best friends written. Or, or when I did Brandy, I did No Such, no such Thing Is Too Late and, and uh, you know, Paint This House and Harley Breathing. Those were songs that weren't hits or energy for Carrie Hilson. That wasn't a huge, much, huge smash, but one of my favorite records I've ever written. And we could run down all the hits, but I think that those records mean a lot more to me because they were the ones that just got away. And it also shows you who truly rocks with you. Because the people who are fans of the records that weren't huge successes, that means that they kind of 
they are in touch and they're in tune with just a great song and they're not just into the hype, you know? Rico, was that's funny. That's my way that. of kind of deciphering to who's a true, I don't like to say fan, but a true follower. Yeah, I was, when you mentioned those songs, something just jumped to mind. So last weekend was um, Mother's Day weekend. And at my church, the girls did this liturgical dance to save the hero, which is Beyonce joint that Rico did. And it's funny that he can do a song that is playing in church dedicated to moms, but then, you know, can also do, you know, these hoes be acting up. So it shows that his diversity but it also shows that some of those underrated hits, like he was saying, still resonate today. Because when I was up in the sound booth and they played it, I was like, I totally forgot about this song. So even though it doesn't get some of the love of the bigger ones, you still got some fans of some of those low-key hits. And that album sold really well. So those those that record did well for me. It may not have been a yeah. single, but it did really well for me. So, you know, a lot of times people think it has to be on the radio. I just did... Um, uh, Gucci Man, I did a, a Gucci Man's album. I did a few songs on there, a song called Miss of My Woe and a song with um, Monica called We Ride on the last Gucci album. And the album performed well, so that still works out for you financially. But I did Trey Songs last project. I did like three or four songs on the last Trey Songs, the main album. So you understand, a lot of times people are programmed to say single, 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 radio, radio, radio. I did um, Famous for, for French Montana, his latest single, and, and you know, um, on that, on that uh, Jungle Rules album. And that album went gold. It's almost platinum. So you got to look at those type of projects. Or on a Kevin Gates album, and I did a few records on there. Like, those albums still perform, and you're still able to earn. So it may not be a single, but on the publishing side and on the master royalty side, you can, you can really do well. And I think mm-hmm. my focus, honestly, is not even money. I don't – if you ever follow me on social media, you notice I don't talk about money. I don't talk about cars. I don't talk about my houses. I, I talk about substance, the thing that matters to me, which is my work and my children. So – I think that that's the making of a man, and that shows more character. Because everybody got a cool watch, bro. You know, everybody got a diamond chain. Everybody got a, a mansion right now, you know. So you'll see, I mean, everybody in this business, I, I bet brother. But you'll see that the people that, that really love me and rock with me, they rock with me because of my intellect and my passion and my ability to translate and to say things that they're thinking and they don't have the ability to say. And I think that's why there's an endearment to me. It's not because, you know, I, I know how to dress and I got, you know, cars and, and a watch. I think it's more about, and this dude connects to me and when I meet him, I feel that he's genuine and he's real and I feel that he looks at me in the eyes and he respects me as a person. And when you do that and you have those type of characteristics, that takes you further in this game than being just hot. I'm telling you because it's a low period for all of us. Timbaland went through it. Pharrell went through it. Ronnie Jerkins went through it. Everybody has that time in their career where things aren't moving the same pace as they were. We're still able to maintain and do well because we have a gift and we have we and I'm a super hustler so I'm always gonna figure it out. But at the end of the day, there are those moments where music transitions. It's just about who can make it through those moments because right now you look at radio. Myself, Dream, uh, uh, Sean Garrett, Esther Dean, Neo. We're not as active as we once were. Not because we aren't as talented. It's because we don't write trap songs and trap mm-hmm. music is just dominating in a way that's that we never could have imagined. But we're still able to be a part of all of the major projects. We're still able to maintain and still have the level of respect. I'm still heavily involved. I just did the Superfly soundtrack. I did a bunch of songs in that movie. And we're still able to be active and still do well for ourselves because we have a gift that's consistent. But the ability to connect to people, but that's bigger than any hit record or any, bigger than any car or bigger than any you know entourage or facade that people like to build up about themselves. And that's what I want to be known for is 
the man I am as opposed to the things I've done, you know, in when it comes to, like, my actual talent. Yeah, I have a gift, and I'm passionate about the gift, but the character is what makes the man, you know? Imagine a guy who could write oh, an incredible song. Imagine a guy who could write an incredible song, but he, you know, beats his wife. You know, imagine a guy who mm. could play basketball really well, but he's, you know, a pedophile or something like that. So you can't look at even the gift. Even the passion behind the gift is incredible. But, you know, Roman Polanski is not going to be known when it goes down in history for his incredible, you know, work in film. You know what I mean? you got to think about that and think about the things that your legacy means. So the gift is not mm-hmm. even the most powerful thing. The character is more powerful than the, than the gift. Wow. That's powerful. No, absolutely, Rico. Now, you know, you were listing all these great songs that you've done. I just want to give a quick shout-out to you for doing some of the earlier Marcus Houston and, and Omarion songs because those songs kind of define my teenage years. <laughs> That's cool, man. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. um, the first song I did after Throwback for Usher, you know, Throwback was the first song I'd ever written in my whole career. But the first placement I had after Throwback was um, a song called All Because of You for Marcus Houston. And that was Amazing like, song. I remember that. that yeah, I love that song. It was kind of a hit, right? And then I remember yeah. um, ASCAP. I was the ASCAP at the time, and they didn't give me my checks. But at the time, I didn't know that I was supposed to get checks. And I remember they called me and said, oh, you haven't been getting your statements. we got to redirect your statements. And, I, and that was my first time knowing that you could make money from radio. And I got a check for 60000 And I remember thinking to myself, oh, my God, they paid. This just show you how much passion was involved because I'm like, oh, my God, you get paid for music like this? And it's like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, bro, you get money like when it's on the radio. And I just remember thinking to myself, wow, I really just love doing it. You know, I realized I had a gift being a rapper who figured out he could write songs. I remember thinking to myself, wow, you can really get paid for this. This is awesome, you know. And, you know, obviously they got they got a little bigger after that. But you started realizing, like, damn. But it, we come from an era where the information wasn't so free out there. We didn't know about royalty checks now. Writers are, are posting their royalty checks on the Instagram and doing corny shit like that. Like, it's like, come on, bro. Like, give it a, a bit of mystique because now the, the kid who is a avid music listener or lover, he doesn't know how to just love it. He's thinking about the monetary gain that he can get from it. And that takes away from what it really is all about, in my opinion. I want everybody to do well. I personally want to be a billionaire, but I'm, I'm not. that's not my number one goal. My number one goal is to be the greatest ever. And I think that in doing so, you're gonna always your gift is Bible say the gift make room for you. And what it means is your place is gonna be your place at the table is gonna always be available. You could be in a packed room full of people or and there's no seat left, but your gift will make a seat for you amongst the presence of kings and queens and royalty. And I think that to me that's more important than oh I made a bunch of money on this song. You know? The, the gift is what made room for me and make my presence felt in the world. That's what we should focus on as opposed to like a bunch of money, but I just remember thinking to myself, "Wow, I really can get paid for Marcus Houston," and then doing a, um, what was it? I wish I didn't love you for for Omarion, and yeah. I'm going to change for Omarion. I remember all those songs. But then I did a a single for B B Five called "You Got Me." I remember those days, bro. It was crazy, like having a single on the radio for the first time ever, and seeing a song you wrote in a video and stuff like that. That was like that was awesome, bro. I still remember how that felt. Yeah, the first time. And it never gets old, by the way. When I'm when I'm somewhere, I'll be in Orange Theory working out, and they'll play like six of my records, and they don't even realize that I wrote this song. And I'm still hyped, I'm like, damn, this is my shit. You know, I'm screaming "Turn the lights on" every time. It's, you know what I mean? <laughs> That's still, it's still it's still moving. Let me ask you this, Rico: How does a, 
you know, how does a writer producer like you adapt? Because like in the, in the early two thousands, mid two thousands, we we heard about these labels giving out hundred thousand dollar beats and and you know to artists and stuff like that. But it's changed so much. We got streaming now. Labels aren't investing as much. Like, how does an art, uh, a writer and producer like you adapt to the current times where maybe there isn't such a budget like that, where artists don't have that type of budget to put out songs? Like, how do you still are able to, you know, be successful? I mean, I never, I never charged a hell of a lot for records anyway. My, my manager, Danny Dominguez, at the time, he had an incredible, uh, his, 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 his way of doing business was so smart because he always said, the most I ever got for one song was maybe 55000 or 60000 or something like that. And that was only because they really was a bidding war for it and we ran the numbers up. Now, we could have pushed to get more money for records, but he was smart. He said, why would you charge people forty-five grand when you can charge them twenty-five and get seven records on one album? Mm-hmm. As opposed to, if you look at when I did Nelly's, I did Just a Dream for Nelly, but I did seven records on Nelly's album. And I was getting 35000 per record. Now imagine if I would have charged fifty five thousand. Nelly, when he's picking his records, he would have said, "Well, I'm only gonna pay for one Rico song. As much as I love these other ones, I don't want to pay fifty five times seven. But when I'm saying thirty, thirty five, twenty five, and you work in deals with them, that's why. You, even when people look at the um, Kelly Rowland album, I did like seven or eight records for that album. You look at Raymond versus Raymond on Usher. I did. I didn't just do There Goes My Baby and Daddy's Home. I did like five records on that album. You look at you look at uh, uh, Beyonce's. Sasha Fierce album. I did five records on that album, you know, and that's not by that's by business and being smart and not being greedy. So as the game shifted, I'm still getting twenty five, thirty thousand per record, and that's still normal for me, because I never was the guy who was. I had smart management who knew, bro, don't don't take their head off, because when it's not as and it's not as popular for you, they're gonna look at you crazy. Like, nah, remember we had to give you all that money, we get nothing now. Well, we kept a consistent number. And then we was able to still maintain when when the things wasn't as wasn't moving the same way they used to move. That's actually interesting. It's a, it's a sure. science to it, bro. It's science to everything you do. You got to understand it. It's, it's a science. You got you got to be you you get you got to know your worth and you got to be practical. But you still got to be practical. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Ed, let's flip it back to again that 2010 era. Ed, do you remember when? major labels were pushing like for an artist it would put one single out on pop format and one urban uh, and one on urban format that annoyed the heck out of me ed what did you think about that it was it was kind of jarring and i understand the mentality of doing it but i felt like it was kind of confusing for a fan because you didn't know what the actual project would sound like because you had two different kind of songs kind of like doing completely different paths so you like all right, are we going to get like a pop record or are we going to get an R&B joint? I know some artists would, would kind of get kind of confused. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, think about this, right? Back in the day, they were urban records and most people only listened to the urban station. So when, when, when uh, Usher would have a single at urban, like he had a record to start off at urban, let's say, for instance, he had a record like um, Daddy's Home that started at urban. And then he went with OMG at Pop in Top 40. And obviously that went all, all cross-format. But at the end of the day, it's a tough position to be in as a black artist because Pop Radio does not play our records right off the top, right off the bat. Even with um, Migos, as hot as the Migos are, they still have to start at Urban and then it has to research well and then cross over the rhythm. And it's just it's going to rhythm faster, but Top 40's not jumping on the record until it's already a hit at, at rhythm. 
So it's a lot more song and dance. It's a lot more political than you would think. It's, and then most, believe it or not, because you're seasoned and you're, you know, cultured, most black people in the urban community only listen to urban stations. You understand? So mm. that record that you're talking about that, that may be confusing for you, you think about it. The fact that you guys have a podcast means that you have a high IQ of music. <laughs> most people don't, bro. So most people in the urban community only listen to their two urban stations or one if they're in a small secondary market. You understand? So that Top 40 Pops record, they never heard that record. And when it comes on an album back in the day when they used to listen to the whole album, they would skip that song. So it really wasn't that confusing for the art, for the people. Even when Usher did Yeah, you notice when he didn't want to do Yeah, believe it or not. He, he hated the song. And that's why he put it first on his album. He was like, let me just get past this one. Let me put it, put the intro and then do Yeah, and then I'm going to get to the real album. He hated the song. So, I mean, he doesn't hate it now, obviously. <laughs> but um, <laughs> like, he, nobody expected it to be what it, what, it, what it became. So, long story short, it's, it's a science behind the reason why they had to do that, because they were like, we don't want to miss out on this opportunity to possibly have a hit at Top 40 or Rhythm. So, of course, the bass and the core is at Urban, which, which is different now, because think about it, Top 40 radio sounds like Urban radio now. Think about it. Like, there's a lot of, yep. you know, even, even um, I love Post Malone because he has such a crazy melodic sensibility and he understands how to structure a record. I don't agree with a lot of his views and the things he said in the past about hip-hop and about black culture. I think that, but, you know, that's, that's privilege. And I think a lot of times even the best, coolest white guy in the world doesn't realize how much white privilege he has. You know, okay. so sometimes it could be okay. a situation where you don't even know how good you have it, and sometimes you'll make a comment to a person who doesn't have as much privilege as you, and you, you don't understand how insensitive that is. So I think that I chalk that up to that when it came to his comments that he made. But overall, he, he's an incredible songwriter, and he has an incredible sensibility of melody. But even when you listen to Urban, I mean, Top 40 and Rhythm Radio now, it sounds like Urban now. It really does, because trap music is just alive. It's just killing it. But rolling out, rolling loud to do as well as it does, think about that, bro. This is a trap trap concert festival and it's selling out crazy and this year it was at a, a stadium and it sold out you know so wow. you know it's showing just how trap music is transcending and I think that that's they refer to that as urban but right now that's not even just urban it's an all format type of thing even when you hear Housley Housley and you know all these other artists making mm-hmm. these records with these trap undertones and you know, culture vulture and our, our, our whole energy, <laughs> which is fine. You know, they've been doing that to us forever, so whatever. But at the end of the day, um, I don't think that, that that was a bad thing to do back in those times. I think that was, that was their only way to get the record to be able to exist in that realm and they could sell a little few more albums over there and they wouldn't sell otherwise. Because it's so difficult to get a, a cross-genre record, man. It's tough, that, especially at that time, especially when up-tempo records for black artists was difficult. If it wasn't four to the floor, it was tough to have an up-tempo, you know? That's why, if you ever noticed, when you go to record companies, they were like, man, we just really need an up-tempo because it's so hard to create an up-tempo for a black artist. Well, I think you made a good, a really good point, Rico. I think, um, what do you think as far as, as being a kind of a writer who doesn't really focus on trap right now, do you think trap is going to actually last? And Are we going to see... Because you have a lot of fans that kind of see it as like this generation's disco, where it's going to be real hot and it's going to flame out eventually. Do you think it's going to last, or do you think that anytime little little white girls like your shit, it's, it's, it's going to die soon? And I hate to say that, but it's anytime you know sixteen year old white girls, 
crazy crazy about this particular thing, they're going to outgrow it. And it's going to get point. And it's not because they're whack. It's because they grow up. And when they become 20 and they go to college, they're going to be like, I'm not into that no more. That's what I like when I was younger. I'm not into NSYNC anymore. I don't like Backstreet Boys no more. You know, so if you weren't able to grow past that, like the Justin Timberlake or like the Usher or like the, you know, Britney Spears was able to, if you can't, then you're going you're gonna to lose them because they're going to resent everything they loved as teenagers. And that's just the natural part of life, and that's the science behind it. When I was a teenager, I liked this certain thing, and, and then when I get older, I still love it because it's urban, and urban had soul and energy. But when you think about pop, most young white girls, they, they're not exposed to the world as much as, you know, other people. They're not exposed to hardships. So when they get to college and they start really seeing the world and being on their own and realizing what life is about, they kind of resent the easygoing free songs that they listened to when they were younger and, and the carefree melodies and the ain't no lie, bye, bye, bye. They're like, what? I can't believe I listen to that. <laughs> you know, I'm into Gautier now, and I'm into, you know, um, Bjork, and I'm listening to this, you know, and they grow, they grew. As, so so that's what's going to happen with trap. It's, it's too kitty pop now, right now, and it's becoming too pop, and we're going to start resenting it as they get older. It's just, an, it's just how things work, bro, you know? Remember when, when Stained and Limp Biscuit ran the top 100? You know, and, oh, I and do. Uh, Nickel, Nickelback and all those bands, like that's that's just going. Everything changes, and then then it's then the Britney Spears and, a, and you know and a, um and a Instincts and the Backstreet Boys and the um you know what's the what's the Nicholas Shea band? All those guys they started doing well, and then that moved, and then it became EDM, and then now it's you know hip hop got in the area in and out. Nelly came and you know killed it. Jay Z was doing well, but even though he even wasn't dominated on the pop charts. And Puff destroyed the game. And the next thing you know, now it's trap music. So it's all going to, you know, as soon as the new cool kids start saying that that's not cool anymore, then it's going to shift. That's just the nature of the business. I just hope that these kids who are so naive, because the, the most arrogant generation I've ever seen is the trap generation. They don't yes, do research. Lord. They don't, they don't, feel wow. like they, they don't feel like they got to respect anybody. And when their time ends, they're going to take it harder than any other place, um, any other genre because they're so arrogant like we referenced everything we were we loved and respected everything when we were young there were tributes to all of the greats and it was just so much going on we were educated you know and now it's like you know usher's 39 years old and people call him old usher's old it's like what when we were kids you know we loved bobby brown you know like when when he was when he was 39 or 40 years old he's like oh bobby brown and Harold of her Oh, LSG, um, Johnny Gill, um, you know, Johnny Gill and, 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 and uh, Joe LaVert and Keep Sweat doing the album. Oh, that's dope. And now these kids are like, man, that's old. It's like, damn, bro. I mean, you would want to grow up. Like, don't you guys realize that you're going to be 30, 39 years old one day? And I think the lack of respect is going to hit them so hard because when it's over for them, it's going to be over hard. Right. Wow. Powerful. Now, now, Rico, Man, yes. we had a uh, we had pleasure P on the we had pleasure P on the podcast about three weeks ago, and I know you're working on the Pretty Ricky project, and they're going on the Scream tour, Scream reunion tour soon. Do you think that same mentality, you know, of, of people having their phases when they were younger and then moving on to their adulthood, do you think that would apply to someone like Pretty Ricky? Because people that were 15 back in the day might not necessarily be listening to that type of music when they're 30 now. Yeah, I think that. Um... When you look at the numbers they do, I don't think that applies to them. I think their fans still showing up for them. It's not arenas the same way, but I think if they were to do the Scream Tour again with Pretty Ricky and 
T.I. and, and B2K, and I think they could sell out arenas. It's just the difference wow. is people are not buying records anymore. Look at it. Look at what Escape was able to do, bro. Escape sold out arenas. Mm-hmm. Sold out every single one, every single night. So, yeah, it's possible for them to do it. It's just not – I don't think it's – I don't think it's as rational of a thought to think that they're going to sell a million albums again. It's just, it's just different, you know. The, the buying public, the, the people who are their age, they just not, they don't have time to check for the album anymore. You got a job and you're working, you working, you'll miss it. You're, bro, let me tell you something. I was on tour, and I remember literally being in Charlotte, North Carolina, performing that night, sold out show. The next night I leave, and a girl tweeted me, when are you coming to Charlotte? And I'm like, I literally just, I literally just left in last night. It's because an adult, you guys do this for a living. This is what you live and breathe, and this is your passion, right? But an adult who has a job and has kids and got a babysitter and got to go to work and got to get off work and pick the kids up and go to, they don't have time to be on Instagram all day to know whose album coming out. You know what I mean? And it's not on TV anymore. So think about that. That age demo doesn't have the time to entertain what's new and what's hiding, what's this and what's that. No. Got things to do, bro. So it's shifted and it's changed, and they're not—they're not aware enough to buy a record. You think about this. You listen to the radio. They say um, Beyonce's be in town and going on tour in September, and they'll tell you in, in February. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because they need enough time to promote to adults. Now Beyonce is a different bad example because she sells out the first day. But think about other acts when they coming up, when they going on tour. They announce their tour like six months ahead of time because grown people need time. They might not have been in the car listening to the radio at that particular moment. I was, I promote, I've been promoting my music conference every single day for months. And then people still are like, hey, what, where's your music conference? And you're like, bro, uh, I've literally been saying this every day, but I understand it. They're not sitting in front of their phone all day like the kids. So it's just different at different times. Wow, I mean, man. that's a great point, along with like the amount of music that just comes out. It is a job for us. They kind of keep up with stuff. The normal fan just doesn't have the ability or don't even know where to go. It's not like, you know, 10 years ago where you had 106 in part. They're telling you this is dropping this day, this day, this day. If you aren't on IG 24-7, you might miss some stuff. You would definitely miss it, bro. Well, let me let me ask you this, Rico. I mean... You've worked with Usher a lot over the course of your career. You know, he's someone we we love Usher, man. Legend. We want to see him succeed. We just always debate because we don't know where he goes from here. You know, his last project, we didn't really know what he was trying to do. But, like, what is your take on Usher and what he needs to do to get back to where he was at? Um, I don't think he's going to get back to where he's at. with that. And I just think that's natural. I don't think he's going to, you know, I just think that, um, I don't think that that's going to happen. I think that he can have an, a, a smash hit. I think he can have a huge number one record around the world. That's still possible. But, you know, things change and times change. Beyonce is huge, but Beyonce has not had a smash hit record on all formats in years, since maybe 2009. Think about that. You know, Love in the Club. I mean, We Be All Night and um, Drunk in Love and all that stuff. That wasn't, those weren't cross-genre number one records. I know the Beehive would just be upset because, you know, about hearing it, but it's the truth, you know? So I don't think it's reasonable to think. I mean, it's possible to happen, but I just don't think that it's, you know, I don't think it's logical to think, oh, yeah, well, he could be as big as he, no. I've had hit records for Nelly and Puff and everybody, but it's just difficult to get back to that place because it's a young man's game. And like I say, you know, adults can be nostalgic and love the record, and, and the kids can love the song and blow it up, but 
and they'll still do well touring because they have a catalog. But as far as, you know, I don't think that, that we'd be we'd be telling, being honest with ourselves if we thought that it could be the way it was. No, nah, I don't think that's reasonable. But the thing about it is, is Usher still is, Usher can still sell out an arena. And that's the, that's the gift, you know. With a, with a hit record, he can go and sell arena a tour. So that's great. But as far as being the number one guy in music, all you know, I think that he can have a do a great movie or do something this big like that and run the Oscars and have a great moment. But you know, it's a young man's game is different, bro, and his era is different. I think Usher knows that too. Hmm. Very fair. No, absolutely. Now, Rico, we've talked a lot about your history. We've talked a lot about the music industry. Just bring us up to date with what you're working on. You mentioned it earlier. Um, what's coming up? What are you putting out? Um, I'm doing this this project called Rico Love Presents, where I'm taking artists that are kind of relatively unknown, working them and developing them, um, getting behind them and giving them a platform for the world to see them. The first project I did was a young lady named Texas, who I found out of Dallas, Texas. Her name was Shaquilla Jackson. I took her in, developed her for two years, wrote every song, um, you know, curated every photo shoot. I wrote the, the the treatment for the video. I named her Texas developed her and gave her a launch launching pad and now she can go on and have a excuse me have a career so that's my new passion is developing acts breaking acts but giving them the freedom to move on and, and go about their career after the rico love presents project is done and also the rico love music college and the we love music conference which this year july 14th and 15th in baltimore maryland um you can register by going to we love music conference.com this year we got mace we got scarface we got zaytoven Danger, Brian Michael Cox, we got Ted Lucas, we got Ball Greasy, we got Byron Trice, you know, it's going to be some incredible speakers. Jerry O. Johnson from the Grammy Association, PK Kirk from um, Spotify, you know, just educating musicians, songwriters, managers, A&Rs, and giving them a platform and letting them know they're not alone, and giving them an opportunity to learn how to format their songs better, how to produce records better, how to mix their records. I got Marcella, I got... um. Rob Marks, who mixes a lot of my records, Kanye West, a lot of people's records, um, being able to come and speak at this conference. And I'm also doing the conference in Africa, June 12th through the 16th. So it's just an opportunity for people to grow and, and develop as creative. So that's my that's the future for me. And also, I've been in the studio working on my next project. A lot of people, I, I didn't think I was going to do another album, but then I just started thinking about it like, man, you know what? Um, a lot of people want the music from me, and I have to get over my own frustration. You know, just say, you know what, you know, do something and just have fun and enjoy it and don't expect anything. Just do the record just for the sake of doing the record. Wow. We actually enjoyed your, your solo album. You mentioned Frustration. Is that, did it have anything to do with how that performed or, you know, what, what, what do you mean by that? Was, when you win for so long nonstop, um, a lot of people, even though my friends always say it wasn't a loss, but I still took it as a loss. When you was winning for so long, and then something comes out and doesn't perform, you kind of like, mm. and and I felt like it was the best work of my life, you know, stay for the kids and and days go by and you know like yeah. the affair records like that. I just felt like, how do I write that again? You know, it's frustrating because it was like, if they didn't get this, then how, what what do I do? And um, it was a little frustrating for me, but I think I, I'm to the point now. Where I'm just like, I don't care what what happens. I know I that was the happiest I was in my life ever. It's, making that album and, and releasing it so now it's like you know what just do what makes you happy bro just have a good time yeah you, you didn't even mention Amsterdam I mean that record yeah Amsterdam was incredible too yeah man 
All right, so before we let you get out of here, um, w- just to wrap up, we got a couple quick things we do on every podcast. We ask every guest we have on here, if you had to choose one of these two artists, Music Soul Child or Keith Sweat, who are you choosing? Uh, Keith Sweat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and how I come? do. <laughs> just out of curiosity, because just to give you some background, Music Soul Child is my favorite artist, pretty much, and Keith Sweat is Ed's favorite artist, so we always like to see who, who everyone we have on here would choose. So why do you choose Keith? Man, that, that voice, that soul, you think about Cut Close, you think about um, uh, uh, Silk, you know, he wrote and produced all of those records. Find those artists, he's writing and producing all of his records. He's a genius. His, his, his live show is incredible. Now, Music Soul Child is also incredible, but when you look at catalogs, and you look at the time this guy has been able to survive in this game, it's legendary catalog. <laughs> legendary. Can't compare. It's incomparable. Keith Sweat is one of the greatest ever. Rico, you want to come back next week? I think um, you and I can just <laughs> We can handle this whole podcast. All right. All right, moving on. And then. <laughs> All right. And finally, for you, Rico, we'd like to ask this to every guest we have, too. Man, what is your drink of choice when you you know when you're at a show? If you're you know about to perform, like what do you, what is your go-to? Um, I don't drink before performances, but my drink of choice is mango Ciroc. and I like to mix mango Ciroc with um rosé, champagne. Okay, all right. It's a it's an it's an incredible concoction that'll have you feeling like you can dance all over the room. Hey, thanks so much, man. And we just have su- had such a great time talking R&B with you. It's just a, you know, a pleasure for us talking R&B and hearing your knowledge. You dropped so much knowledge on us, man. We just really get a kick out of it. And we hope, really hope you, you keep it going with your solo career, too, if that's really what you're, you want to do, man. We, we'd be glad to support anything you're doing. We're going to support regardless. So thank you so much, man, for your contribution to R&B. Appreciate yeah. you guys having me um, on the show and, and supporting my career throughout these years and always being an advocate for R&B music and for creatives and people who really respect and know and study the culture. It means a lot for us. And if nobody has ever said thank you, I want to be one of the guys that say thank you to you guys because you guys keep us going. When I see y'all showing me love on social media, um, you guys interviewed me one time at um, SOBs, and it was just like, man, it's so refreshing to get these incredible questions. I was like, man, this, is, this means a lot to me. So I just want you guys to know that I appreciate the support throughout the years. Thank you guys so much. Wow, that was an amazing episode with Rico Love. Shout out to Rico Love, man. Shout wow. out to Rico who gave us a musical education. I mean, I'm a, I'm kind of a music nerd when it comes to this, so I didn't do much talking. I did a lot of sitting and listening, and it was a great, great, great interview. Dropped so much knowledge. We appreciate that. You know what? It's interesting because he pretty much just admitted that Usher will no longer be superstar Usher that came in 2004 that time is coming gone i think it's time for us to accept that as well well i've been kind of beating that drum for a long long time when a lot of fans are like we want confessions part two I'm like uh like 15 years ago y'all like it's that time is coming gone i think he had his run on top and he appreciates it but as rico said it's a young man's game so it's time for somebody else to step up i'll, I'll tell you what's interesting about that though it's like we kind of knew that but we've never heard actually someone who's worked with him and close to him admit to that. So I think that's why it's a little jarring to hear and definitely dropping that truth. Yeah, props for him for the honesty and being real about it, just confirming what we've been saying for years. Absolutely. 
So I want to get into our fan love section because Tom already did the soul back track of the day, but I want to do a fan love segment once again. This comes from Black Orchid Music. We asked, and like I said, we always ask the listeners what their favorite album was growing up, something that inspired um, them. This one comes from Black Orchid Music. The Angelo Voodoo album. I was so excited for it, and when I got it and played it, I played it right through. I had to play the root a couple of times at certain parts because of the harmonies alone. Jeez. I convinced the black history group at my school to play Africa at the fashion show segment, and it fit beautifully. Still love it to this day. Wow. I can see it. As I've gone on record saying many times, I am not a that big of a fan of voodoo but it's one of those albums that i recognize the musical genius behind it it's not my it's more kind of like heavy syrupy funk that's not really my style of music but i definitely recognize its greatness and it is one of the most um i don't know just experimental and inventive and daring albums of its era so i'll always give pride i'm a brown sugar type brother but i can never diss voodoo Tom, do you want to get started on that music soul child and D'Angelo debate again, or are you good? <laughs> that's another. Good. That's another topic for another time, guys. Gee. All right, fair enough. <laughs> um, Ed, what's going on with uh, SoInStereo.com? I know you ranked oh. Neo's discography. That was cool. Oh yeah, we didn't mention that earlier. Neo has been kind of dropping singles here and there with a new project on the way. So, in celebration of the new project that. Seems like it might be pretty decent. I went back and looked at his discography, ranked it from bottom to top, like we do. So, of course, there's always controversy with your boys. So go check out where your favorite landed. Also, I have a kind of in lengthy piece. We talked a little bit earlier about our special edition podcast talking about the R. Kelly Spotify Apple Music streaming controversy. I go into a lot of detail on that on the site. And besides that, we've kind of been a slow point for reviews. So we haven't had a lot of reviews out lately. But in the coming weeks, I've got some love letters. I've got, yep, some whatever happened to's is coming back. i got another artist we're featuring. So keep an eye on the site. Dope. And Tom, what's going on with You Know I Got Soul? You have the Tamiya interview up. Yeah, we decided to uh, interview Tamiya at her listening event. She gave us a huge shout out, which is pretty cool. She always shows us love. Um, the album should be out later this year. Excited about that. The interview was cool. Uh, other than that, like Ed said, it's been slow. There's not really much for us to talk about um, on the site, R&B. It's been a kind of a down year, I hate to say it, but um, you know, we still have half a year left for it to rebound, and obviously we're going to keep going strong here ourselves. Uh, really looking forward to that OJ the Juice Man feature on our podcast next week alongside uh, oh. Orange, Juice, Orange Box Jones wow. for a, a dual feature. <laughs> And uh, we'll go from there, guys. Wow. This orange box nope. cutter Jones. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, Why do I put three up notes with... Be- uh, from us. Three notes from me before we head out. Um, number one, Tom, is it true that someone said Tank is right for making trap music because 90s, R&D- 90s artists can only make the same love songs so many times? Is that a true We're going to... We're going to pick that up on the next podcast. That's something that we need to de- right. dive deeper into. We can't just graze over that <laughs> I got oh, lots of bars for that alright uh, point number two um, I was supposed to interview Genuine last week when he came to town um, he, I actually emailed him and he responded back and he said um, 
I'll hit you back when I land. Um, I'm, I'm heading over to Vancouver now. I'll hit you when I land. He never hit me back, so we never got the interview. But shout-outs to Genuine. Funny enough, I think he, a day later, I, what? our good friend Gaetano saw Genuine at the airport. Yep, and he got an interview for himself. So that was pretty cool. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, he didn't. <laughs> no, he didn't. No, he didn't. I think Genuine was was um, too busy out. Genuine was out. Was too busy out looking for his number one fan. Oh my god! Oh, great song. <laughs> I don't um, know. And then I think on, he's sipping on some of that Ciroc today or something. Tom is too riled up. <laughs> I love it, Ed. Pretty much. And then the very last point, um, I want to congratulate Ed. He did something very big, and he accomplished big things. He bought a Nintendo Switch. Yes, I yes. did. And I still have not. I have The only thing I've done is taken it out of the box and charged it. Because I've been this week has been so whack, I have not had a chance to play Zelda. But when this podcast ends, that's what I'm doing. Make sure you set aside about and 120 hours to play that game, just so you know. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I still haven't beaten Batman Arkham Knight, and that came out like two years ago. So I'm sure I'll finish this probably 2023. Wow. So that is that. That is it for this week's podcast. Um, after this podcast, I'm going to ask Ed how dare he give someone to play a please award for buying Drake and Meagles tickets if he buys a Switch and doesn't even use it. So until then, we will yep. uh, come back yep. next week with another episode. <laughs> Have a good week, everyone. Yep. We'll All be right. back with Barry. <laughs> <laughs>